passionate. So I'm not going to make excuses for that. I'm going to get straight into this word. And my prayer is it will challenge you. It would encourage you. It would bless you this morning on the journey that you're on. So to start off with, I've got to take you on a, an adventure of a holiday that Dan and I went on a few years back. And many of you have heard me preach before. Know I like to give you a holiday story. Usually involve heights or a giant hornet that comes after me. But this is more of a mellow holiday story. And we arrived in a Greek island about eight years ago now to a new hotel. And it was a new build. And thank God when we got there, it was built. Because you hear these horror stories. You go to your lovely all-inclusive hotel and it's just a brick on the floor. But this was built, but they were adding the finishing touches to the hotel when we arrived. They were still putting up our curtain pole in our room. So it was very new. So we got into the swing of the holiday, and after a couple of days, we noticed that there was a spa attached to the holiday. So Dan said, you're on holidays. Why don't you get a ma massage and a facial? You like doing that. I was like, oh, go on then. So I went up to this spa, was greeted by this lovely woman, and I can't do a Greek accent. Trouble is, I do accents in my preacher's church, and they all sound French or Spanish. So I won't try and do a Greek accent, but she was lovely, and she beckoned me in, and, and we booked up my treatments I would have later in the afternoon. And so I said, I'd like a massage, and a facial would be great. And she said, ah, I have something very special for you. So I can't help myself, can I? I've gone into an accent already. Okay. So she said, I've got something very special for you. I will give you my brand new facial. It's not been tried out on many people. At that moment, you panic slightly. I've had an exfoliating facial before. I've had a deep moisturizing. But she said, this is our new one. And she showed me the pamphlet with the writing on. This is the genuine chocolate face facial. And I was like, okay. She said, you're going to love it. So with that, I was whipped into this room, and she said, let's apply this ointment to your face. Well, it was melted down Terry's chocolate orange. That's exactly what it smelt like. So she is putting this on my face, and it is like thick, and it is running down. And at one moment, she turned around, and I must admit to you, because we're friends here, I did do this. Just, just to try and get a little taste of it, because it tasted so good, as much as it smelled good. Well, it didn't taste quite as good as it smelled, but it was melted Terry's chocolate orange. And the whole time during this fa facial and massage, she kept saying to me, how do you like this chocolate face? You like it? She said to me, I was like, oh, I love it. It's so nice. And after that treatment, literally for about two days preceding that, my face was so soft, but I could still smell chocolate orange. I could smell it. And even when I came out, Dan was like, what have you been eating? I was like, I haven't. It's a facial. It's what I've had on my face. But it, my skin was so anointed by this. It was so moisturized. It was so, felt vibrant again because of this face mask. And it got me thinking about the anointing. The Bible talks about the anointing. And back in the Old Testament, the anointing was literally usually done in a ceremony where there would be a thick oil, an ointment that would be rubbed into particular groups of people for the purpose of having the anointing of God. For priests, it would be to perform duties. For prophets, it would be to proclaim. And for kings, they would be anointed to rule. They were given this ceremonial procedure of rubbing in a thick oil and anointing that remained on them. And it said, chosen, anointed by God. And the same thing happened to Jesus. And coincidentally, Pastor Ingrid has, pre has given the message this morning of the verse I'm going to use. But when Jesus spoke in the synagogue in Luke 4, verses 18 to 19, if we could have that, please, Andy. He was proclaiming what Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah 61 about Jesus. And we've talked about Isaiah 61 this morning. And it says, Jesus speaking, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus stood in the temple and proclaimed, here I am, the anointed one. But the amazing thing of what Jesus did when he died and he was resurrected and he came back, he gave us something. He gave us the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you are now my anointed ones, church. You are the ones that have had that oil rubbed into you symbolically to say that you are my church, my chosen ones, my anointed ones, that you have this verse to hand, that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you because he has anointed you to preach the good news, to proclaim freedom for those who are captive, to heal up the brokenhearted, to see the recovery of the sight to the blind. And church, it's you that are anointed. You are sealed in. You have that fragrance like that chocolate orange that hung around for days. You have the fragrance and the anointing of heaven on your life for such a time as this. We could have 2 Corinthians verses 1, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. Now it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. God has anointed us, he's sealed us, he's put his spirit within us, and he sends us. Now, if you're going to buy a property, a house, for example, you'll put down a deposit on a house to guarantee that you want to go ahead with the purchase of the house. It's your guarantee of saying, I'm in this to have the end result of having that house. As it says in this verse, that he is guaranteeing what is to come by putting his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. He's put his spirit in our hearts for deposit of the promises of God that are yes and amen to come for this generation, for the generations to come, for the hope of the world. Because he set us and sealed us, his anointed ones, for such a time as this to preach the good news. You know, we have the best message on the planet that anybody could ever hear of salvation, of freedom, of deliverance, of hope. We have the amazing message ever. We have the good news to speak. And yet often we don't speak it enough, church. But I want to stir you up to a point today of saying you have the answers. You are his hands and feet. You are the fragrance of Jesus in Colchester, in this town, in this day and age, in this church. You are his anointed ones. He has set you, sealed you, and given us the Holy Spirit to guide us as we walk out as his anointed ones. Can you imagine life without Jesus? Because I couldn't. As I prepared this, I started to think about what would my life look like without Jesus, my Savior and my King? Because he has done so much for me as he's done for you. When you're reminded of the goodness of God, of his mercy and his grace that covers all of my mess ups, all of my mistakes, all of my sin, for his outstretched hand that says to me, come with me, for the healings that I have received and I have sinned, for the deliverance he's taken me through, for the message of hope that he's put in my heart, for a generation and a church and a people that need to know Jesus. He's given us so much. I think there should be some praise in the house this morning of what God has done for us. Amen, church. Where would we be without his love? 
Where would we be without the passion of Jesus in our lives every day? How do we get through the lows of life that can break people? Because we have Jesus, the risen King, seated on the throne of our lives. And we have the best message ever to give out to people that need to know the Jesus that lives in you and I. You know, recently I went to buy a new perfume. We all have a little shopping trip, don't we? especially the ladies, but I went to get a new perfume. And I don't know about you, but when I go to purchase a new perfume or you guys an aftershave, it's not about the shape of the bottle that attracts me to the perfume. It's not particularly about the make. It could be an Armani or a Calvin Klein or something like that. It's not about the make or the shape of the bottle. It's about the fragrance that is contained within the bottle. And I went about, and it was when we were going on holiday, another holiday story for you. This was Spain. I couldn't, can't do a Spanish accent either, praise God. But I went about, and we were at the airport, and there's so much more choice than there is in the local shops. So we're looking at all these different ones. And I picked up this bottle and sprayed it. You have the little bits of paper, don't you? Or you spray it on your wrist, and then you're confused which one of you sprayed corresponds with which bit of paper. But this one stuck out, stuck out to me. And I picked it up, and I was like, oh, that's the one. Dan said, yeah, that's lovely. Let's go for that. It's different. You've not had that before. Went to purchase it. Then I noticed the name of it. It was called Love Relentlessly. And something in me was like, wow, Love Relentlessly. Got me thinking about our Jesus loves us with a relentless love. Now, a word relentless or relentlessly on its own can come across as not a very nice word. But when you put love in front of it, this is how it reads. To love relentlessly is to love continuously, never-ending, persistent, unflagging, and insistent. And doesn't Jesus love us like that, people? With a love that is continuous and never-ending and relentless, that it doesn't give up, it chases us down. And that's what the world needs to see. That he is a God that chases us with a relentless love that says, okay, you're there and you're still there and you're still there, but I'm still going to keep coming with my love. I'm still going to keep bowling you over with my presence because I love with a relentless love that doesn't give up hope, that doesn't say, no, you're too far gone to ever save, but keeps at people. Do we love with that relentless love for people ourselves? Can we say, I'm going to love you with a love that does not give up, that when I see you make those mistakes and mistakes again and again and again, I say, I won't give up because I'm going to stand with you, that together we're going to see you come through this, that I want to love with a love that is relentless because it has a beautiful fragrance about it because it's about all giving. It's not about receiving, it's about giving our love away freely like Jesus did for us to set us in a place of freedom and salvation. We need to bless each other and the world outside of the church with the good news of his never-ending, all-consuming, all-powerful love, grace, and mercy that is Jesus. We have that within us, church. When people encounter you on a day-to-day basis in your everyday normality of life, as they encounter you, you leave a fragrance of Jesus. They should encounter him. That when they look into your eyes and they have a conversation with you and they're in your presence, that they are in the very presence of Jesus because of the spirit that lives within you, that he set in you, that he sealed in you, that he's anointed you with for such a time of this. We have a powerful job to do on this earth and it's to further the kingdom of God. We've sang here this morning and held our hands up. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the power. And that kingdom is within us. And we are his glorious ones. We are his all-powerful ones because of the spirit that has been deposited in us for purpose of the anointing. You are sealed. 
You were purchased at a price. God is sending you on a mission to change lives and see his relentless love that never gives up poured out on your friends, your family, your church, and outside of the church. Can we love relentlessly, church? Can we love without giving up on people? He's anointed us, rubbed in that oil, rubbed in that anointing. Every single one of us is anointed. And not only that, he has given us gifts with our anointing. I mean, can it get any better? You get the free gift of salvation. You get relationship with Almighty God. You get an eternity in heaven. And not only that, while we have the opportunity to serve here on earth in this day, he gives us gifts to serve with. And many of us who are church people will be familiar with the different giftings that the Bible speaks of. But just as a reminder to refresh you today, there's different types of ministry and different types of gift that God has given to each of his children. And there is no one here that missed out of the gifts. There is no one here that is not anointed by Father God and who hasn't been gifted with something. So there are the fivefold ministry. There are apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers and evangelists then as we look in Corinthians it tells us of the different gifts that God gives us the gift of tongues that is a gift the interpretation of tongues is a gift encouragement is a gift do you know you get around somebody who's an encourager and you feel different you spend a day with somebody who says to you come on you can do this you are like yes I can do this and I experienced this in the flesh yesterday actually um, Amy, our daughter's seven, and she's been learning to ride a bike. And we keep saying to her, you don't need your stabilizers anymore. You can do it. You can do it. So gradually, she's a bit apprehensive. And as children are on their bikes, and we're like, come on, let's just take one off and see that you don't need to lean on that one. So we did that, and we went down to Clacton. All along the front, we were cycling for, eight, for miles. And she got a bit more confident. And by the end of that one bike trip yesterday... Both of them come off, and she is like, it's like she was born with a bike. She is just zooming off. But do you know why? Because we kept saying, come on, Amy, you can do it. Come on, Amy, you don't need to lean to what you're used to. Let's take the stabilizers off. There's Dad shouting, come on, Amy, for miles down the road, people turning around. But it was brilliant because you saw the encouragement lift her spirit, and she can do it. And this morning, she's like, I don't need stabilizers. She's all like this. I might take my bike to church. I was like, we haven't got enough room, so she's got Heelys on instead but there's power of encouragement have you been given the gift of encouragement are you using that to your full potential for his glory and for his kingdom to further his kingdom the gift of administration I love this one because administration I like it everything in order that's how I like my filing system at home and when I think of admin I think of it as a good thing if you've got that gift, you are a blessing to the church. You're a blessing to the people whose lives you're in. You keep things in order. You could administer so much in the natural and in the supernatural as well. It is a gift. Can I remind you of the gift of healing and miracles? They're given to us so that when we lay hands on the sick, they are made well. Let's stir our hearts to the giftings that God has given us because you are anointed and you have been given a specific gift or more than one gift. And I want to stir them up in you today. I want to encourage you. It's not about how do I work out my gift. It's about am I available? Am I anointed and available just to say, yes, God? Am I willing to say, okay, I know you've put something on my life. I know you've called me for a purpose. And I want to see my potential become my purpose so that I can enhance your kingdom. Will we be willing just to say yes without knowing what it looks like? Because sometimes as people, we want to know exactly what that's going to look like. But sometimes we've got to say, okay, 
I'm going to challenge myself just to step out in my gifting and give it a go. If you don't try, you never know. And it starts with serving. And it starts with saying, okay, I believe you've given me a voice, God, so I'm going to use it. I'm going to start to preach. I'm going to start to sing. Or I'm going to encourage somebody with the gifting that's on my life so that I can be used for your kingdom. Because nobody else can preach the message like you preach it. And nobody else can encourage the way you encourage it because it's a God-given gift that has been given to you specifically. And the prophecy that God has given you to prophesy into the church and into the nations is the gift he's given you specifically. So will you step up like Isaiah did? Will you step up like the prophets of old and speak out the truth of what God has put on your heart? The evangelist who over time has felt like, well, I'm always the one that has to step out and and preach the good news and people have taken the mickey out of me and I'm not going to do it anymore. It's time to rise up in your gift again because there's a world out there who are hungry for the good news that is held on the inside of you. You're sealed, anointed, and you're sent to preach the good news. But what we do as people, we all look at what we haven't got rather than what we have got. We tend to say, oh, if I'd been given the gift of a good singing voice, you should see church today if I was up there. If you'd given that to me, God, it would be so easy to stand on a stage and sing with all that power and everything you've put in there. If you'd only given me that. But that's someone else's gift. And they will tell you they have to work at that gift. They have to work and partner with God in order for that voice to come out. It's not as easy as just standing there and singing. They have to get in to their gift. They have to use what God has blessed and gifted them with to change situations by stepping up with their gift. So stop looking at what you don't have. Stop saying, if only I'd been blessed with that. Look at what God has blessed you with. Nothing is wasted. There's a gift for every single person. And he wants to use your gift and he wants to encourage your gift to be drawn out so that you will change situations, so that you will see his anointing fall in this church, in your university, in your workplace, in Colchester. So it's time to get busy about your gift. It's time to say, okay, I've sat on this long enough, but I'm going to raise up in what God's called me uniquely to do, to be a blessing for his kingdom and to grow his kingdom. I want to look at the parable of the talents today. And there's quite a few verses to read out, but I want to set the scene for something. And the parable of the talents is, many of you are probably familiar with it, but it represents wealth and gold. A talent was probably worth 20 years' wages of an ordinary person at the time. So it was like probably a a gold, I imagine it like a gold bar. It probably didn't look like that at all. Not the edible one, you know, the proper gold bar down at the um, mint. And... They had these talents. So 20 years of an ordinary person's wages was one talent. That's what it's worth. And we're going to remind ourselves of the story in Matthew 25, uh, verses 14 to 30, in the New King James Version. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability... And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it in the ground, and he hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. 
his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He, who also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will now make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who'd received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You have, you ought, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. This story shows the importance of using what God has entrusted us with and what he's given us with the talent. And as it explains there, the person who had one talent thought, well, I'm a bit scared of what to do with this. I've heard he's a hard man and, and actually, why should I be doing this on his behalf? Why should he reap where he's not sown his own wealth? So I'll just sit on it and bury it in the ground. And I've got five points to make about this story that will help us in our gift and using our talent because we need to use what God has given us. There is no point in burying your gift and burying what God has blessed you with, your talent, if you like, because you're scared of using it, because you're fearful. Well, what if it doesn't work out? What if I look foolish? What if it's not really what I'm called to be? So to try and protect yourself, you think, I'll just sit on it. And does God really need me anyway to advance his kingdom? Am I really worth that much? Yes, you are, because he gave his life for you. And you're worth everything, because he wants to use you to see other people set free. It's important to use what God has given us. Not wondering how will it work? What will it look like? Shall I try and step out here? It's important to say I will step out and I won't just sit on it. But I want to give a return back to the king that gave everything for me. And God always has what we need. It's the second point. God has not gifted you with anything in your life, your talent, your gift. He's not given you something that he cannot see the return on. He's not set you out with something impossible to do for him that he's not going to partner with you to see happen. Because when we put our talent in the hands of a supernatural almighty God, who knows where it can go? Who knows can the end of it? Because we think with a small-mindedness of, oh, this is how far my gift can take me. But God has got bigger plans and better plans for his church to say, if you entrust it back to me, if you sow it back in, I will give you a harvest you've never seen of. I will give you something greater than you can imagine because I want to partner with you and see the outcome of the gift I've placed in you. And you think it's that important thing of when someone gives you a gift, even if it's something you think, oh, I'm not sure about, you don't ever take a gift off someone and go, lovely, and then just chuck it to the side, do you? Because that would just be rude. And yet some of us do that with what God has given us because we're fearful, we think it's too hard, or it's unobtainable because we look in the smallness of us, but we need to look at the bigness of our God who says, I have everything you need in order for you to fulfill the gifting and the promise I've put on your life. 
So let's partner with Jesus. The one talent is more than enough. Sometimes we look at the story and think, but what about the person with the five talents or the person with the two talents? But the one talent is more than enough because it took just as much work for the five talent person to get a return on their money as it did for the two talent person as it would for the one talent person because the effort comes on our side. We've got to say, I will invest my gift back in your kingdom. I will work hard for you. And whereas in life we can look around and, and do comparison all the time at what other people have been gifted with. Or look at them with their five, six, seven, eight talents. Yeah, but look at you with your one talent and what God is going to do with the one thing that you offer back to him. So whatever you have been gifted in is God's calling for your life and it's more than enough. And you've got to give it back to him and say, Jesus, I will live a laid down life for your glory. You know, our theme verse this year at Kesed Church is Mark 10 verse 45 and it says for the son of man has come not to has come to serve and not be served he has given his life as a ransom and because he was anointed to do that we are anointed as his people in his church to say it's not about me Jesus but it's about you who lives in me and I will live my life as a living sacrifice laid down to say use what you've put in me for a return Use what you've gifted with me. Use my life to go and speak to those people. Use my life, the Holy Spirit that is so evident in my life that when I come into contact with that person, they see Jesus. And when I start to use my gift for your glory, they see Jesus and lives are changed and salvation comes. Use what you've been entrusted with to preach the good news. We've all been called to evangelize. The fourth point is we work for the master. It's not for our own gain. It's not for ourselves, but it's for him. The master came looking for a return on what he deposited. And he's deposited amazing stuff in his church. We are his hands and feet in this time. We are the light to the world in this darkness. We are his church. And it's time for us to rise up in the anointing that he's given us, the sealing that he's given us, the sending out he has given us to make a difference in our town and in our nation. We are his hands and feet. We are the fragrance of Jesus. We are to love relentlessly wherever we go, to give our gifts back as a living sacrifice to say, use me, fill me, send me for your glory, Jesus. The fifth point is steward well. Do we take up every opportunity with, with yes, I am available? Or do we draw back and see if it suits? Do we say, okay, this is what you've gifted with me? and anointed with me, and it doesn't seem possible in my schedule at the moment. It doesn't look like I have got that time slot to do that, but I'm going to push aside what is not necessary, and I'm going to focus on what is necessary, be in your hands and feet and advance in your kingdom for such a time as this. I will choose to use every opportunity well and to steward my gift well. I will get around people that I can be accountable to, to say, come on, you, you test me in my gift, you help me with this. I'll get around people that will pray for me to find out what my gift is. Some people sit here and think, well, I don't know what I'm called to do, but you've got to try. Just start serving. God will soon show you what you need to do. Serve anywhere in church, and God will start to draw out the giftings that you have. For me to stand on a stage like this and preach is not what I intended for my life. I never thought I would do this. In the natural, this scares me to stand here and speak to you all. But I know God has given me a gift to speak, and that's why I do it. 
If I was at school on my school report, it would say, quiet in the lessons, shy, does not speak out. And yet God has given me this to do. So I know it's all because he's gifted me with it. And I want to do it for his glory, to see his kingdom to come, to see lives changed. So we need to steward what God has given us well. Take it like a precious gift and use it for his glory. Because there's someone in your life that needs the anointing on your life today. There's someone in your life that needs the gift that's within you, and they are just waiting for it to be released. There's someone that needs to see Jesus in you today that is going to change their circumstance and their situation. There's someone waiting on the good news of God that you have in here, and they want it to burst out of you. Someone needs your anointing and your gift. And for many, we might feel like, well, yeah, I have buried my gift for whatever reason. I've, I've sat on it for a while because I've had to do that. Self-preservation or not the opportunity that we think. But today it's time to rise up. It's time to draw out the encouragers like Barnabas in the Bible. To draw out the encouragers. Just start encouraging someone. Do you know, you can send someone a text and it can change the course of their day. You know, start speaking out. Those who know they've been given a gift of healing, start praying for people. And it might not work the first time, and it might not happen the second time, but God knows the time it will happen. And when your faith gets so raised up to say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, that you will see the miracles of God, because you're using the gifting that God has put within you. Those who are called to prophesy, prophesy, speak up. You may have been knocked back a few times, but speak up now, because he wants to draw out the gift in you. We need it for the times that we're living in. There's a world waiting on the church to stand up and rise up in a gifts and a true calling or anointing so that they will see the light and turn their eyes to Jesus. You know, in the Bible, Jesus called together very ordinary people to become his disciples. And we start at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he's going around and he's drawing a crowd. People are starting to follow Jesus, aren't they? Starting to look at what he's doing. And a group of people witness him heal a man of a withered hand. This man had a hand that was shriveled up and completely withered. And Jesus said, stretch out your hand, be healed. And in front of their very eyes, that hand was reformed to how it should have been. It was a fully working hand. You know, you see that, that changes your life. You witness that, that does something. So these ordinary men who were fishermen and tradesmen who were just getting on about with their lives, they were drawn to the Jesus that they saw. They were drawn to the encounters that he had with people. There was a fragrance about this Jesus that made them think, there's something about this. And they were drawn to the anointing of the Son of God. And as they went about seeing what Jesus was up to, Jesus had a point of calling 12 of them to become his disciples. These were fishermen. And he says to them a famous part in the Bible, he says, you are fishers of, of fish, but I'm going to make you fishers of men that you're going to draw people into my kingdom, that you will change your profession. And it tells us that they left their nets and they left their livelihood and they left what was there and they walked and they followed Jesus. And at that point, you see, they didn't know that Jesus had plans for each of their lives, that he was giving them the gifts of healing. He was giving them the gifts to see demons flee. He was giving them the gift to see the blind see. He was going to give them words that would build the church. He was empowering ordinary people for extraordinary things for his kingdom. But they didn't even know this. They just said, okay, I'll follow you. So they left what was familiar and they stepped into uncharted waters and they stepped out with Jesus and started to follow him on his ministry, not knowing what he'd given them, not knowing what he'd gifted them with. What I love about Jesus is he knows the ones he calls and he knows what he's gifted them with. He knows you by name. He knows the hair on your head. 
He knows your comings and your goings. You're waking up and you're laying down. And he knows what he's gifted you with for purpose for such a time as this. And he's calling you to be the fragrance, to be light, to be anointing to a world that is desperate for Jesus. So he, they saw him, the disciples, they saw him minister to the multitudes. There was one particular story when the crowd gathered so much, thousands of people came to see Jesus. So he went out on a boat in the middle of the river, in the lake, and he preached from the boat. And they saw healings. They saw people falling on their knees in the presence of Jesus. They saw something different in this man. And they were with him. He would called the 12 by now, by name. Imagine that. You were one of the 12. You were picked. It'd be like, pick me, pick me. And then he picks you. He's like, yeah, you're one of my anointed ones. Come with me. Because there was a big crowd, but he called the 12. So they saw these miraculous things happen. They saw him minister and teach and preach to the multitudes. They saw him care for thousands of needs. But then a very different story happens when they see him go after the one. They see him leave the crowds of the thousands. They see him say, let's go across the river to the other side. Let's go across the lake and see what's on the other side because there's someone I need to minister to. Don't you just love the heart of Jesus? That his fragrance, his ministry, his passion is for the thousands, but it's also for the one. The good shepherd left the 99 sheep that were saved and he went out to look for the one. And he drew the one back into the crowd. And so Jesus says to them, come on, guys, we've got someone else we need to go and attend to. And so they got on the boat and they went across the river. And it was just after the major storm that happens in the boat when they're like, Jesus, we're all going to die. What have you done to us? We're better off fishing. But here we are. And he says, oh, peace, be still. The power of that, that's our Jesus. He calmed the storm. They go over the boat. It was like a mill pool then to the other side. And they encounter a very different person. They encountered the one that Jesus went to set free. If we could have Mark 5, verses 1 to 5, please. They went across the lake to the region of Gersens, where Jesus got out of the boat. A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. They went over the water to a man who was in complete turmoil. You see, this man was such an outcast because no one could control what was in him. Because he was filled with a legion of demons. Over 2,000 demons were controlling this man. He was in complete turmoil. He was in torment. He used to cut himself. You know, we think cutting is relatively a new thing in this day and age that people cut themselves and self-harm. But no, he was doing it 2,000 years ago because he was so overpowered and overcome with what was controlling him. He cried out day and night, living amongst tombs and caves and kept cutting and cutting. There was no hope for this man. The only human interaction he ever got was when they used to look up and see if he was still bound. And the chains had actually broken because they could no longer hold him because of the strength of the demons that worked within him. And so they just left him. He was naked. He was full of cuts and bruises. He cried out day and night. He was a man imprisoned in turmoil. What a horrendous existence for someone. And yet I like the picture of what I imagine in the Bible. Of this man in the caves, the one who's cutting himself and crying out day in, day out. That he would have seen the crowds gather below on the river, on the water. He would have seen the multitudes coming towards this Jesus. He probably would have heard the rumors amongst the villagers and the people of this Jesus who heals and saves and sets free. 
And as he stands in his place of turmoil and torment and torture and bondage and brokenness and cuts and bruises and disgustingness of his life, he looks out across the shore and he sees a man on a boat speaking to the multitudes. And then this man on the boat comes across the water and he comes to him. What went on in that man's heart? Could this be the one? Is this that Jesus they talked about? Can he change my life? Look at me. Look at what I am. Look how bound I am. Can he be the one that is going to set me free? Mark 5 verse 6 tells us, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He ran when he saw Jesus coming. Because there was a fragrance that came over the water. There was love that was so relentless that stepped off a boat. That came into a situation that many would say, outcast, madman, impure, broken, too far gone. And yet Jesus come out of the boat and he went to him. And what I love is that Jesus, in his relentless love, if you've watched any of the movies of Jesus, there's something about the eyes. His eyes looked upon that man with love. It didn't matter the disgrace he looked in. It didn't matter that he was naked and he was wretched. He looked a right mess. It didn't matter. The madness didn't make Jesus run away. The demons didn't make Jesus fear because he stood in the sight of that man. And he said, Legion, get out of him. And he sent them into pigs that then committed pig suicide into the river below. And the Bible then tells us that the man was then clothed and found in his right mind. He was completely set free of what had bound him and what had held him. The bondage he was in, the years of turmoil and torment and being an outcast, of no human contact, of feeling like a wild animal. In that moment, Jesus had set him free. And then he says to Jesus, I mean, imagine that. You've been so bound and then you're set free. And he says, I want to go with you. But Jesus says, no, I want you to go to the villages. I want you to go back to the people where you came from and tell them what I've done. And so he went back to his village, to his people, maybe even family. And he said, Jesus has set me free. Look at the grace in my life because of Jesus. What a story to tell. And church, we have that story to tell. Look at where we were bound. Look at where we were broken. Look at where we were hurt and disgusting and wretched without Jesus. And he came in and he says, I pick you up and I give you salvation. And you're set free. Who the son sets free is free indeed. Yes and amen to that. But my question is today, who is waiting for you to show up with Jesus in you? Who is locked up in a cave and bound by the things of life that hold them? They don't really want to be living like that. They don't want to live with all that fear, that anxiety, that depression, those problems, the sins that they know take over their life. They don't want to be like that. And there they're locked up in the cave of their life and they're waiting for a spirit-filled Christian who is on fire, full of the Holy Spirit of God, who will come anointed and appointed and with their gift and will say, be set free. Who is waiting for your life? Who are the ones we can look out on in our everyday world and say they need Jesus? And that Jesus that's locked up inside of us is released with that fragrance and that anointing to see people set free. Because we have the good news, church. We have the message of hope. And sometimes we might have been like the disciples. They're probably like, Jesus, why are we, why are we going up to this one? Why not stay with the multitudes? You know, this one's the crazy one. We've probably all experienced that at some point in our life. 
God, send me to the people I know how to minister to. Send me to the people like me. No, God wants to send you to the other people. He wants to send you to the untouchables. He wants to send you to the people that are not your cup of tea. He wants to send you to the ones that you think that's going to be so much of an issue. But when he sends you and his power falls on you and the anointing is in you and you see them set free, you can say, that's all you, Jesus. It's not about me. It's about you. You know, we've all been to that meeting or conference. I remember going to a conference once with Dan and we're so excited. It was at the O2 in London and we sat down there. Hillsongs was there and it's like, this is going to be expectant. It's going to be amazing. 20,000 people were there and I sit down next to the crazy one. Hey, welcome to the conference. We're so excited to have you. I sit down and this guy grabs my hand. He's like, you're going to praise Jesus together. And he's like, he was happy next to the mad one. But maybe God is sending you to the mad one to have that encounter because we had a brilliant conversation with the mad one. Maybe you are the mad one. Maybe I'm the mad one. But Jesus has chosen and called us. Chi-Chi's agreeing. I heard an amen there. But maybe Jesus has called us out to go and be his hands and feet, to go and see the bound set free, to see the sick made well, to see blind eyes opened. Jesus is calling us out, church, to go to the one. There are people so desperate for the Jesus that's in us that do anything. And all we do is think, oh, how am I going to do this? If I start with Genesis and go through to Revelation, I'll tell them a bit about this, and I've got to tell them about this, da, da, da. Simplify it. Just go and be his hands and feet. Go and be his fragrance. Look out for the one that Jesus is calling you to. And the whole theme of our services, this second part of this year, has been about looking out for each other and looking out for the one. Who needs your word of encouragement today? Who needs your passion for Jesus? Who needs you to stretch out and say, okay, I believe I've got the gift of healing and now I'm going to go and lay hands on you and see what Jesus does. It's time to arise, church. It's time to wake up to the full potential of what God has placed in us and be his hands and feet in this world. Can we love relentlessly, continuously, never-ending, persistent, unflagging, without giving up for the one? I've got a song that I'd like to play to you which really encapsulates cap everything that I've spoken about today. And I just want it to minister to you as you listen to the words of this. Who's the one that God is sending you to? Who is God going to show you who needs your help? Who's so bound that when they see the Jesus in you coming, they will be set free? So we'll listen to this and then we'll pray. Oh, how you love. 
like to pray for you now if you'd like to close your eyes just to give the people around you some privacy that'd be great I just want to ask a question who wants to be available to Jesus with a gift in today that's it raise your hands thank you church thank you you can put them down now because there's something about being available and ready that God can really use And so, Father God, I thank you for your presence here throughout this whole meeting today. And, Father God, I thank you that you've seen each and every hand. For people who are saying, I want to be available for you. Lord God, for the many giftings that you've put within your church, Father, I want to pray a drawing out in this season of every gift, Father. For where people out of fear and preservation have dug down those gifts, that you would say to them, it's time to dig it up again, church. It's time to raise up in what I've called you to because I've got and my message of hope and truth is on your heart and on your lips and you're going to speak and see situations changed. I want to pray for every person that's made themselves more available today that they would just start to use their gift and sow into your kingdom more and more. Maybe those who are so seasoned in their gift would say there's more in you, Jesus, because there's always more, Father. And I ask that you would just pour out your anointing and pour out your spirit on your people today, Father. You would give them that encouragement to say, you go with it, church. You run with it. I've equipped you for greatness. You are my lifeline to this world. That go well, be seasoned well. Take my fragrance well, church. So Jesus, let us know what you're calling us to today, Father. Just give us those words of hope and encouragement that you've called us and gifted us. Father, I want to pray for those who stand here and say, but I've got nothing to offer that you would reveal to them what you have given them and gifted them with. And you would tell them to go out and be a blessing to the whole world. Jesus. So I pray you'd fill us up now as your church to overflowing, that we would know that we're available, that we are anointed, that we are set apart and sealed by your Holy Spirit to go and speak of your goodness in this time and that you will have the victory in our gift and the victory in our lives in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus.